If you would now open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 11. Romans, the 11th chapter. Beginning in verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I'm left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What Paul's saying there, it's one or the other. It's all grace or all works. One or the other. If you try to mix them, it's all, all works. Verse 7, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let all their works and all their ceremonies, let that be a a snare and a trap. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, or I'm sorry, sorry, we're going to end our our reading there at verse 10. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we've gathered together here this morning to hear a word from Thee. And how I beg of You that You would not leave us to ourselves. That You not leave us to our own thoughts and our own ways and our own ideas. But Father, that You would give us a word from Thee. As we open Thy word, Father, show us the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in it. Cause each soul here this morning to hear of the glory of Christ our Redeemer and to run to Him and find in Him everything that You require of us and everything that we need. Father, deliver us from thinking that our own works and our own morality and our own acts of religion could somehow make us more accepted than we are in Christ alone. Father, how I pray you give us faith to rest in Christ, to see that he is everything that you require and to rest in him. Deliver us from ever thinking we can add something to the glorious, precious person of Christ our Savior. Father, I thank you for this place. You've given us this gospel to preach and to hear and to believe. You've given us a place where we can meet together in peace and unity and 
to preach it, and to worship Christ our Savior. Father, I'm so thankful. And Father, we pray that you continue to bless your word here and everywhere where it's preached. Father, bless your word in this dark, dark day full of unbelief and superstition. Father, show us your glory. Call out your people. Show us your redemptive glory in saving your people in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for all things. How abundantly and richly you've blessed us. And Father, in this flesh, as we journey towards home, we're still a poor and a needy people, full of sicknesses and troubles and all the troubles and trials and afflictions that this sinful flesh brings upon itself. And Father, for your people that you brought into the time of trouble in the deep waters, Father, we pray for them. We pray that you'd heal. Pray that you would deliver. And Father, above all, we pray that you'd comfort their hearts with your presence. Give them a fulfillment of your promise that you do give grace sufficient for every trial. Cause us in these things to see more of our weakness that we might rest more fully in Christ our Savior. For it's in his precious name, for his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. Right now, if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to take a, just a little break from our preaching through the book of Philippians and look at something that's been on my mind a great deal recently. My text or jumping off point, whatever you want to call it, is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul says, for by grace are you saved, through faith. The title of my message is this, by grace are you saved, well, what kind of grace saves a sinner? I think that's an important question. Hurricane Road, Grace, Church. We would call ourselves sovereign gracers. I think everybody here would say that of themselves. Well, what kind of grace is it that saves a sinner? This has been on my mind for some time now. and You'll believe it or not, saving grace needs to be clearly defined in our preaching. Because the natural mind has it all wrong. You know, if, if we don't know something, our natural mind just tends to make up some story, we think, that it explains, you know, this situation. And spiritually speaking, we're always wrong. Always. I read somewhere recently about a man saying, yes, God saves by grace, but it's still up to you to make the decision to accept it. Now, that statement is so wrong on so many levels, I don't want to spend a lot of time with it, but that kind of so-called grace, that's salvation by works. That somebody's just calling grace because that's a term they find in the Bible. All it is is salvation by works. They're just trying to call it grace. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 11 that we read a few minutes ago. Salvation is either all of grace or it's all of works. If you try to mix them, if you try to say, well, God saves people by grace, but you've got to do this, 
then what's God's grace got to do with it? It's all of works. Salvation either has to be all of God's grace or all of our works earning it. God's either got to give it to us freely, even though we don't deserve it, or we got to earn it. One or the other. Thankfully, salvation is by grace because we can't earn it, can we? Peter said the same thing in that first conference that they had, that they met together, all those apostles and elders and preachers, they all got together in Acts chapter 11 to decide this question. Well, God saves his people by grace, but do you have to be circumcised too? That's what some were saying, weren't they? They were saying, oh yes, God saves people by grace. But now, we can't just throw, throw all the law out. You still have to be circumcised in order to be saved. If you're not circumcised, you can't be saved because that's the token of the covenant. You know, they, they say, well, you know, we can accept, uh, you know, some of the, of the law being done away, but not circumcision. I mean, this was just the circumcision of the flesh, an outward sign in the flesh was too important to them. And they got together to decide about this thing now. It's just, you know, saying, well, God saves people by grace, but you have to be circumcised. It's the very same thing as saying God saves people by grace, but you got to make a decision. It's the very same thing. And I just wonder, Peter went over in the corner and listened to all this going on, you know. And finally the apostle gets up and says, Men and brethren, nobody's ever been able to bear up under the burden of the law. Nobody's ever been able to keep the law. God saves Jew and Gentile the exact same way. By faith. Our law keeping, our attempts at law keeping, us living under all these ceremonies doesn't make us more savable than those Gentiles who've been idolaters and offering their babies and killing their babies as a sacrifice to an idol. It doesn't make us any better than them. We have to be saved the same way they are. We're just as vile. We're just as rotten. We're just as guilty. All this, all this ceremonial stuff we've been doing hadn't made us more savable than the Gentiles at all. We must be saved by grace. Pure grace alone without any of our works. Now, like I said, men have many crazy ideas about what, what grace is and kind of how to try to explain it away to allow the flesh, you know, some, some credit and something to do here. So I want us to see, what does the Bible say grace is? What does the Word of God say? Because whatever the Word of God says is true, isn't it? Well, then I want to know what God says in His, in His Word and find the answer to this question, what kind of grace saves a sinner? Now, the short answer to that question is it's God's grace. It's God's grace. And there are many facetted. God's grace is so all-encompassing. Don't have time to to look at them all, but I want this morning to look at six biblical definitions of what grace, saving grace, is. And the first one, if you care to look at Genesis chapter 6, almost all of these will be very familiar to you. God's grace is electing grace. Chip, I told you I was going to pick up right where I left off, didn't I? <laughs> right up where I left off in the Sunday school lesson. Bob's, or God's grace is electing grace. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, 
For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now Noah was a totally depraved man. Every imagination and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, just like every other human being, every son of Adam alive at the time, alive today. When the scripture says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that meant mankind, all men, including Noah. And I'll tell you why that is. Because when Adam fell, when he sinned against God, he fell and all of his descendants fell in him. We all died spiritually in our father Adam. When Adam fell, he willingly took that fruit in rebellion, open rebellion against God Almighty, and he fell. He lost the capacity to do anything holy, to say anything holy, to even think anything holy, to even desire anything holy. His nature became dead in sin so that all he can do is sin. And you and I got his nature when we were conceived in our mother's womb. Everything we do is sin. Everything we can think up is sin. That's all our nature, a sin nature, can produce. It can only produce sin. So that means we can't have some work that's holy. Can we? I mean, if we're, if we're fallen in sin, we're totally depraved, we can't do anything holy to deserve God's salvation or to get God to save us. Noah was no better by nature than anybody else live on earth at the time. That's why Noah needed to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. He couldn't earn it. He had to find it. And the same thing is true about you and me. We are just as sinful, just as vile, just as rotten by nature as every other human being out there today. Every one of them. That's why we need to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was saved by electing grace. Of all the people that God could have chosen to put in that ark, he chose Noah and passed by everyone else. I don't know how many people were alive at the time, but there are millions. God passed by everybody else except Noah. Now that's the very definition of electing grace. God chose Noah and passed everybody else by. Scripture says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That word found has a few meanings. Let me give them to you. First of all, it means to find. Noah found something that he needed but he didn't have. Grace. The next meaning of that word found is is to meet. Noah met something he didn't know anything about before, not before God revealed it to him. Grace. Grace. And thirdly, that word found means to be found in. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord put him in the ark. Put him in the ark. Just like he put him in Christ, in the covenant of grace before time began. Now this is the first time in Scripture the word grace is used. And I'm sure you've all heard of what we call the law of first mention. Generally speaking, wherever you find a word first used in Scripture, whatever it means there, that's pretty much what it means all the way through the Word of God. Now of all the people alive on earth at that time, God chose eight souls. Eight 
Noah and his family to save them from the destruction that was coming. Now that's electing grace. It, it can't be anything but electing grace. God elected them. He chose those eight souls out of the lump of fallen humanity. And as I tried to say in the lesson this morning, electing grace is the only way a dead sinner can be saved. I mean, we're dead. We, we, you've all seen dead people, people in, in, in coffins or dead animals or something. You've never one time seen them get up and do anything. Here we are. We lay dead. Dead. If we're going to be lifted up, somebody else has got to lift us up. If we're going to be made alive, somebody else has got to make us alive because we can't do it. We're dead. That's why I say the only way a dead sinner can be saved is God's electing grace. God must choose us first. That's electing grace. All right, number two, look at Exodus chapter 33. God's grace is revealing grace. Exodus 33, verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight, now therefore I pray thee, if I found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Now the Lord had told Moses, Moses, you found grace in the eyes of the Lord, just like Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Moses asked the Lord, he said, all right, if I found grace in your sight, Show me your way. Not just what you're doing. Show me your way. Lord, show me your glory so I truly know who you are. If I know your glory, I'll know you. If I know the glory of your way, I'll know you. That's what he says in, in verse 18. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And here's how the Lord responded. Verse 19, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now the Lord told Moses, here is how you and my people can know me. It's not by the acts that I did down there in Egypt. It's not that. It's, it's not the, the wonders and the miracles that I performed in Egypt. It's not that, that display of my power over nature and over different things. Here's how you can know me. It's by my greatest glory. That I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Of that sovereign grace. Electing grace. God will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. And when the Lord reveals himself to his people in saving grace, 
This is what he shows them. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. It's sovereign grace. It's my choice in my doing. And my greatest glory is showing mercy and saving sinners who deserve damnation. Just like their father Adam, they've stood in open rebellion against me. Nobody deserves to be saved. Everybody, by their works, deserve to be sent to hell. But God says, I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And Lord reveals that glory of himself to everybody he saves. His glory. Does that thrill your heart? Think about what you are by nature and what you deserve. And God was gracious to you anyway. He revealed himself to you by, by his greatest glory of all the things that we thank God for. And we do. We, we thank the Lord for material, physical, earthly things. We should, shouldn't we? He's the one who gave them to us. But oh, all those things pale in comparison to His grace. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. God chose a sinful people to save just because He would. Not because they're good, because they're not. But because God's good. And in justice, the Father sent His Son to take the place of His people as their substitute. He suffered and died to put away the sin that made God angry. And now God shows mercy to His people in justice. That's the way every single believer knows God. I'm going to make a statement that could be a little bit shocking to you. You don't have to believe in election in order to be saved. You have to believe Christ. I don't know exactly how you can believe on Christ unless you first hear of his electing love, but you don't have to believe that doctrine of election. You had to believe Christ. But every single saved person, when they hear of God's sovereign electing grace, they say, Amen. I agree with that. That's the God who saved me. That's the Savior who saved me. That's the only way God could have saved me. He's revealed his, his, Himself and His gracious power to save sinners that don't deserve it. That's how God reveals His glory to His people. is by the preaching of sovereign grace. Alright, next, look across the page. Exodus 34. God's grace is pardoning grace. Verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, Jehovah, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it's a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin. 
and take us for thine inheritance. Now the Lord came to, to Moses, he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord's name is his character. He's, de he's, he's declaring and telling Moses who he is. And he said, Moses, this is my character. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm long-suffering. And I'm abundant in goodness. I love this about our, our Lord. He's not, he doesn't just have just a little bit of mercy. You, you, you better be careful, you know, you might outstand his mercy. You don't have just a little bit of mercy. Not just a little bit of grace. Not just a little bit of long-suffering. He's abundant in all. He, abundant mercy. Abundant grace. He's, he's abundant in his long-suffering. He's abundant in his goodness to his people. And I'm so thankful. Because great sinners need the Lord to be abundant in mercy. Abundant in grace. Abundant in long-suffering. Oh my goodness. You think what the Lord got to put up with me. Oh, I need him to be abundant in those things. That's the only way a real sinner can be saved, isn't it? But now read on. That's not all the Lord said about his character. He said the Lord's abundant in truth, too. He's abundant in his holiness. He's abundant in his justice. Everything God does is abundantly right. The Lord keeps mercy for thousands. He forgives the iniquity and transgressions of millions, of an untold multitude. And at the same time, he will by no means clear the guilty. Now you mind telling me how that's possible. How is it possible to pardon sin, forgive iniquity, at the very same time you... Uh, at the, how, how does he say it here? At the, at, the, at the very same time, you will by no means clear the guilty. How can you pardon the guilty and not clear the guilty? Just, those are two opposites. How is it possible to do those two opposite things at the same time? Well, I tell you, if God will show you the answer to that, you'll know the gospel. You'll know how it is God saves sinners. Here is what makes God's grace so amazing. I just love this. I love to think about this. In order for the Father to pardon the iniquity of his people, you know what he had to do? He had to take the sin of his people away from them. And he had to make the son of his love sin for his people. He had to make his holy son to be sin, to be guilty of the sin of his people. And then in justice, father slaughtered him. See, Calvary is a clear display of God's truth, God's mercy, and God's justice. Even when his only begotten son, I mean the son of his love, when the father saw him made guilty of the sin of his people, the father did not clear the guilty. The father himself plunged the sword of justice into the heart of his son so that sin would be fully punished, so that the debt would be fully paid by his precious blood. And because of the sacrifice of Christ, because his blood put away the sin of his people, because his blood justified his people, made them without sin, now the Father shows abundant mercy and abundant grace to his people in justice, 
injustice. See, the death of Christ made it right for the Father to pardon the sin of his people because the debt had been paid by the sacrifice of Christ. Now, God didn't ignore sin. You know, we, we get this, we get this mistaken impression. God's just this old man with a long, you know, white beard. He's just this grandfatherly love, you know, that's so timid and he just, you know, he, he'll just, he'll just overlook, you know, the, the sin of his people. God can't do that and be holy. When I was in San Diego last, last week, I was talking to the Thacker kids and Kimberly's parents are coming out to, to spend a week or two with them next, next, uh, Month, I think it is. Kevin and Kimberly are going to go to Australia. Kevin's going to preach there. And uh, they said, oh, we like it when they come. We get away with a lot more stuff than we do mom and dad. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Kimberly's mom and dad all of them get away stuff, don't you think? That's what a grandparent's job is. But that's not God. That's not God. No one but God could be so good and so wise as to find a ransom for the sin of his people in the death of his son so that he could show abundant grace to the likes of you and me. Oh, I like that, don't you? That's good news. That's good news. Here's the fourth thing. Look at Romans chapter 3. God's grace is justifying grace. Romans chapter 3. Verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now God's grace justifies his people. And that word justifies means to have no sin. No sin. Now what a miracle. A sinner. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God, yet God has made his people without sin. Now the only way a sinner can be justified, it has to be by God's grace, doesn't it? If all we can do, if all we can think up, every thought and imagination of our hearts is only evil continually. Everything we do is sinful. We can't do a work that's going to make us holy. You can't sin in order to make yourself holy. I mean, that just makes such obvious sense. So God the Son came in the flesh as the second Adam, the second representative, the representative of his people, and he did what his people never could do. He obeyed the law for them. He obeyed and gave them a perfect righteousness. And he shed his blood to put their sin away. So that even God, who sees everything and can't forget anything, says their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. I don't even see it. I've cast it behind my back. Now God's everywhere, so you tell me where his back is. <laughs> he put it where it can't be seen because it doesn't exist anymore. He justified his people. Now the only explanation 
the Almighty God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would do something so wonderful for the likes of us is grace. Is grace because we sure didn't deserve it. I'll say it again. I just I, I don't want us to ever get over the glory of this. The Father made it so that He's just, so that He does right when He shows mercy to His people. Nobody but God could be so wise and so loving as to find a way to remain just, to remain holy, to remain God and not violate the attributes of his characters and still justify his people. Who justified? God. He's the justifier, isn't he? We didn't do it by our works. God's the justifier. And that righteousness that the Lord Jesus Christ earned as a man under the law, he gives it to his people freely. Even that's not earned, is it? Even the, even the faith that, that believes on Christ, that, that clings to Christ, even that's not earned. It's the gift of God, Paul said in our text. God the Holy Spirit has given this thing to us, this thing of faith so that we see Christ, whom having not seen physically, you love. You believe him. This thing of salvation has to be all of grace, doesn't it? The Father chose us in grace even though we didn't deserve it. The Son died for us in grace even though we didn't deserve it. And the Holy Spirit gives us faith in Christ even though we don't deserve it. It's all of grace. Then here's the fifth thing. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God's grace is sufficient grace. Second Corinthians 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the, of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This word sufficient, my grace is sufficient for thee. It means enough. God's grace is enough. It's all it takes to save you, and God's grace is all it takes to keep you saved. It's enough. And do you know why God's grace is enough to save you and keep you saved? It's because the other meaning of this word translated sufficient here means possessing unfailing strength. God's grace is never going to run out of the power to save and keep his people. And that lets us rest our souls in Christ because God's grace is sufficient. It's all powerful and it's all I need. God's grace. Now it's sufficient to save us. It's sufficient to keep us saved. First and foremost. But when you look at it in the context here. God's grace is also sufficient. It's of unfailing strength. To lead us through this world below. Now this world. Is a tough place to live. Tough place to live. 
It's a tough place to live because the world is so full of sin and because we are so full of sin. You know, our old nature is still just drawn like a fly to honey. You know, the, the, our flesh still thinks all the, the wicked things of this world are so sweet. God's pilgrims. That's what we are. We're pilgrims. We don't belong here. We don't live here. We're, we're going home. God's pilgrims got a tough trip. They got a tough trip. Because we're making this journey in these sinful bodies. I mean, it makes it tough. And you can just expect it. You, now, expect the trip to be tough. Expect it. Our Lord did not promise us a life of ease. He promised His people a life full of tribulation. Trials and troubles and difficulty. That seemingly seem to get increasingly harder. Brother Cecil Roach told me one time, he said, when I was a young man, he said, there's a lot of blue sky. And then there would come up a storm. And the storm would pass, there would be a bunch of blue sky. He says, I've gotten older. The blue sky has become a sliver. And the storm's rolling one right after the other. After the other, after the other. Well, you just expect it. Expect this life to be plumb full of trials and afflictions and difficulties because that's what the Lord's promised us. And if you can call some trials small, the smallest of them are too great to handle on our own. The smallest of them are. Not to mention those hard ones where the Lord puts you out there in the deep. Deep waters. Dark waters. Well, now how are you going to get through those things? How are you going to get through them? Some of you at this very moment are in it deep, aren't you? How are you going to get through it? Huh? You're going to get through it the very same way Paul endured his thorn in the flesh. It won't be by our power. It will be by the unfailing strength of God's grace to keep us. See, we don't endure these trials by our power. Matter of fact, you know how we endure these trials? By our weakness. By our weakness. So that we have to rely totally upon the Lord. Now, this is my advice. Take it for what it's worth. When you're in a time of trial and trouble, now do pray that the Lord remove the trial. Do pray that the Lord heal, that He deliver, that He, whatever the, the trial is, whatever the case is, pray that the Lord deliver you. And I'll tell you why you pray that way, because the Lord's the only one who can deliver you. He's only got the power to deliver you. But also, remember this. There's going to be times the Lord's not going to remove the trial. There's going to be a time, a day come, He won't heal. Something's going to kill these bodies, isn't it? He did not remove Paul's trial. This messenger of Satan that was buffeting him. You think, oh, if the Lord could just remove it. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't remove it. He did something better. He gave him grace sufficient for it. Now that's a promise of God. My grace is sufficient for you then my advice is pray 
Lord, give me grace sufficient for this trial. I can tell you, he'll answer that prayer because that's his promise. If you would plead with the Lord, plead his word. If you would plead with the Lord, plead what he promised to do because you know he's going to do what he promised to do. Um, And when the Lord gives you grace sufficient to calm your heart, even though the trial is just as bad as it ever was, the pain of it, the heartache of it, the sorrow of it, the darkness of it, the uncertainty of it, has it changed a bit? But the Lord gives you something and gives you peace. That's peace that passes all understanding. And in my experience, that's been sweeter than the removal of the trial. It really has. Okay, here's the last thing. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy 1. God's grace is eternal grace. Second Timothy 1 verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, when? Before the world began. Before creation, when only God existed, God purposed grace for his people. Now the purpose of God is just as sure as the past act of God. The purpose of God is just as sure as something God's already done in time. And the reason I can say that is God always, he always does his will. Nothing's going to thwart his purpose. That's why salvation in God's purpose is sure for his people. God's grace cannot fail to do anything he purposed. I don't know everything it is that God purposed, but I do know this. He's purposed to save his people and his son. God has purposed grace. The father has purposed grace for his people. And the son purchased it. Purchased that grace. He purchased every blessing God has for a sinner with his blood on Calvary's tree. And the Holy Spirit applies that grace. And he does it not in some mysterious way. We were sitting at home watching TV and when you're all alone. He applies that grace to the hearts of his people through preaching. Through the preaching of Christ. Look what Paul says in verse 10. But it's now God purposed this in eternity. But now this is made manifest. By the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, all these things are brought to to light so we see them and believe them through the preaching of the gospel. Now, God's grace, His saving grace is eternal. It began long before human time began and it will last until the end of human time. And you just don't have to worry that God's going to run out of grace for you. You don't have to worry that you'll finally outsend God's grace and you'll make him cast, you know, make him cast you off. Because God doesn't change. And his grace is always sufficient. I know our sin is horrible, but always remember this. Where sin abounded, grace, grace did much more abound. So hate your sin. I mean, absolutely hate your sin. Be determined not to sin. But when you fail, don't despair. Because God's grace is eternal. 
God's not going to change in His purpose of grace for His people because God cannot change in order to take away grace from God's people. God would have to change. That's not possible. Grace began before human time. It'll continue all the way through human time. And when time is no more, you know what God's people are going to spend eternity doing? Singing about the grace of God that saved a wretch like me. After we bow in prayer, let's start that right now. Someday we're going to sing it perfectly. After we bow in prayer, I want to start right now with what God's with with what heart, with what tongue, God's given me to sing Amazing Grace. Oh, it's a sweet sound, isn't it? All right, let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for your grace. It's only by your grace that wretched, vile sinners like we are could be saved. It's only by your grace that you could reveal the glory of your Son to our dark, dead hearts and that you give us faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, how we thank you. And Father, I beg of you that you'd cause us to cling to your saving grace. Oh, that we might be enabled by thy spirit to quit trusting in our works, to quit thinking we can do something to make God happy with us and to rest in your eternal, unchanging, saving, sovereign, electing grace. Father, it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For his sake we pray. Amen. All right, Sean, come lead us in our scene.